Advent, we're exploring Bible texts that draw out the connection between Jesus and light. Zach looked at Jesus, the light of life, last week, and he's going to talk about Jesus, the light of the world, next week. And my assignment this week is to talk about Jesus, the arrival of light. Now, we chose to focus on light because Christmas and light just go together, right? They're like soup and crackers, love and marriage, Steve Constable and movie illustrations. <laughs> and so, at Christmas time, we hang strings of lights on our Christmas trees. And we decorate our yards with the lights of lawn ornaments. There's the light of the Advent weed. And the candlelight of Christmas Eve services while hushed congregations are singing Silent Night. And who can deny the light that we find in the eyes of little kids on Christmas morning? You see, say Christmas, and sooner or later, you're bound to think light. And for good reason, since the first Christmas was marked by the appearance of an unusual wandering star that lit up the eastern sky. And the point of that star was to announce the birth of a baby about whom it would be said, he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And who would one day say of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christmas and light. It's all so wonderful, isn't it? And it all seems so merry and bright, and it feels just so gosh darn holly jolly. Well, why don't I end the sermon right now, having made the point that, yes, there is this strong connection between Jesus and light, Christmas and the light, and light is good. So with that in mind, let's just sing a closing hymn and head upstairs to room 206 and enjoy a couple of cups of good cheer with each other. Okay? No, not okay. Because you know that Holly Jolly isn't the whole Christmas story however much the merchants at the mall are pushing it. And if you listened carefully to what Don read a few minutes ago, you know that that holly jolly message isn't the one endorsed by the gospel writer either, as evidenced by the way he introduced his remarks about the light of Christmas. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Now, did you hear that? This is the judgment, not these are the glad tidings, but this is the judgment. And a judgment, as you know, is a formal finding of fact rendered about a disputed matter. A judgment is a verdict reached by a jury at the end of a trial. It's a ruling handed down by a judge. And as such, judgments are often anything but merry and bright. They're more often very difficult to hear and very hard to live with. As turns out to be the case with the judgment John is about to pronounce. On first blush, 
What he has to say about this Christmas light that came into the world is very difficult to hear. But if you'll hear him out until the end, you'll find out that the judgment about which he writes can have a very, very happy ending for you. An ending that could make this Christmas and every Christmas of your life the merriest ever. Now, as I read the text, John's judgment has four parts to it, which will be the four points of my sermon. Point one, the light has come. And point two, contrary to what might be expected, people prefer darkness to light. And point three, those who persist in doing wicked things grow to hate the light. And point four, those who do what is true come into the light. My four points. The first point, the light has come. Do a Google search on the phrase, headlines that shaped history. And here's what some of uh, the returns will be on your tablet or computer screen. Franklin Roosevelt, elected to an unprecedented fourth term. Nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Israel achieves statehood. President Kennedy assassinated. The eagle has landed. Men on the moon. Now, every headline suggested by Google is undeniably history-shaping. But not a one of those search results can hold a candle to John's headline-worthy report that the light has come, has come into the world. They can't because the light that came into the world during John's lifetime was none other than the uncreated light who was with God in the beginning and who was God and through whom all things were made. They can't compete with this headline because except for the coming of this light into the world, there would not have been any history for those other headlines to shape. So listen, light has come. Its coming had been forecast for thousands of years, both implicitly and explicitly. An offspring of Eve would be born who would crush the head of Satan. A seed of Abraham would come by whom all peoples of the earth would be blessed. A star would come out of Jacob. A servant would be sent who would be a light for the Gentiles. The son of righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. And when this offspring, seed, star, servant, light, son of righteousness came, then the saying would come true. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Do you see? The coming of this light was momentous. It was epical. It was history-making. Nothing like the coming of this light had occurred before John's day. Nothing like it has occurred since. Nothing. And the light that came was Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God and the Son of Man, born of Mary in Bethlehem when Herod was king. He was the light about whom John wrote in the opening lines of his gospel, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world and about whom he would later write, he came into the world as a light so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. And coming as light, he did as light does. He drew the attention of everyone who saw him. 
He invited inspection. He illuminated. He quickened. He energized. And he exposed. That's what light does. That's what Jesus did. Okay, you might be thinking to yourself, so the coming of this light was predicted for thousands of years, and its arrival was a big deal, a very big deal, and John says that Jesus was the light. But what does that have to do with me? Well, I'll tell you everything. It has everything to do with you because whether you're aware of it or not, whether you'll admit it to yourself or not, your entire life has been, at bottom, one long, unending search for light. It's been a search for the light of insight and comprehension, for the light of understanding that's gained by finding answers to hard questions like, who am I? And who am I in relationship to everything else? And why am I here at all? And what's the purpose of life, of any life? And what's right? And what's this feeling of wrong that I can't shake? And is there a secret to being happy? Is there a reason why I'm not happy? Now, as one writer put it, this search for light, for understanding and meaning is a trait as universal to humans as that of speech. In other words, if you're human, you will look for light. It's in your DNA. You'll look for light because meaninglessness, its alternative, terrifies us men and women above all things, as author Benjamin Hale put it, so much so that we'll trick ourselves into seeing meanings in things when there is none. If only to comfort ourselves, we'll gild the chaos of the universe with our symbols because to admit that something is meaningless is like falling backward into darkness. That's what he says. And given this, John's report that there's light to be had and that the light has come into the world, has drawn near, has made itself apprehensible so it could be found and embraced should come to us as really good news. It should mean the end of all uh, our searches for the light. It should mean the end of apprehension and uncertainty, of disputes and misunderstandings, of worries about the present fears for the future. Has the light come? Well, then we'll be able to see. Has the light come? Well, then we'll be able to understand. We'll be healed. We'll have a future. Has the light come? Then we're saved. Unless, unless you believed that the light which came was itself somehow a threat. Unless you had something to hide from the light, which is just what John goes on to report when he writes that the people loved the darkness more than the light because their works were evil. And that brings us to our second point. The light has come, but the people preferred darkness. Now, in just a minute, we'll ask the why question. But first, please notice that the word people in that verse, is not qualified by the word some. All of humanity is in view, which means that you and I are in view. We're among those people who prefer the darkness. This judgment is about us. 
And second, please notice as well that the works that are judged to be evil aren't qualified by the word some either. All works, a better translation for the Greek original might be all undertakings, all preoccupations were judged to be evil. Now that includes self-evident evils like slavery, genocide, sexual violence, child abuse on one end of the spectrum, as well as undertakings, preoccupations, which appear to be good. Think marriage, parenthood, charitable giving, dutifully observing the law on the other end of the spectrum. What? Marriage? Parenthood, charitable giving, good citizenship considered as evil works? Yeah, they are when they're self-serving. Though these might feel praiseworthy in the doing and look good to others as they're being done, on close inspection, they're not. Because at root, the works which John has in view have been motivated by self-love, self-will, by self-protection and self-promotion. And because of these self-justifying motivations, even these righteous acts are like filthy rags, in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, which is exactly what the coming of Jesus the light made apparent to the apparently moral people of that day. He exposed the unwelcome truth that even their righteous acts were like filthy rags, even their best efforts, even their scrupulous observations of the Jewish law, even their zeal to fulfill their religious obligations were in the end wicked because they were self-serving. And as Jesus did to the people of his day, so he does to the people of all ages, including ours, he exposes the inadequacy of our best efforts. Now, how does he do that? Well, he's light. It's just by being who he is. The golden rule, you know it, right? Well, he was its inspiration. Jesus was an honest measure in a world of dishonest weights. He was the real deal in a world of counterfeits. He was the whole truth and nothing but the truth in a world of half-truths. He only said what he had heard his Father in heaven say. He only did what his Father commanded him to do. His unmixed pleasure was to please his Father. He said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He said, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I always do what pleases him. And when he taught his disciples to pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, he was only teaching them to pray as he prayed, as he cherished, as he lived for, and in the end died for the will of the Father. And for being who he was and believing as he did and conducting himself the way he did, he could not help but expose the sad truth that no one else was like him or believed as he did or conducted themselves with anything close to the same single-minded devotion to God by which he did everything 
And 2,000 years later, he's still doing it. His virtue exposes the truth about our so-called virtues. They're not virtuous. They're wicked. They're evil. Light makes everything visible. For which reason, John reports that the people preferred the darkness to the light. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear that word darkness? A cemetery at midnight with an eerie wind blowing through leafless trees, a haunted house, a rain-soaked dead-end alley with broken hypodermic needles underfoot, sinister places, sinister people, sinister behavior. Is that what comes to mind? If so, think again, because that is not the darkness that John has in mind. Rather, he has in mind, ready, any and every religion, theology, morality, mythology, philosophy, ideology, system of thought, self-help program, entertainment, diversion, drug of choice, and the like, which numbs our consciences to our true condition and so allows us to believe that we can do well enough without constant, moment-by-moment recourse to God. John had in mind every strategy, whether lowbrow or high-minded, pop culture or Ivy League, which makes it possible for us to maintain the fiction that we are our own masters, that we know what's best for ourselves and can do quite well without God, thank you. The Bible calls such strategies darkness. And it's this darkness which we people prefer to the light. So what's the judgment? It's this. Light has come. Truth, wisdom, the answer to life's profoundest questions, the solution to life's thorniest problems has come. But instead of surrendering ourselves to him, we'd rather stick with our self-generated theories about reality, however flimsy they might be, however full of holes they might be, however much they create troubles for us all their own, since they at least allow us to maintain this fiction that we're okay. We're adequate. We can manage on our own. And we have a right to self-determination, we do, and to self-definition. And as such, we can continue in our self-serving, self-advancing, self-promoting ways, all with a relatively clear conscience. That's the judgment, the verdict, the ruling about us and all people, guilty as charged. And I hope you noticed, it's not a judgment against the works of evil as much as it's a judgment against our attempts to cover up the evil of our works by hiding in the darkness of our self-salvation strategies. So what to do? Well, we have two options according to verses 20 and 21. We'll either be people who, having been exposed by this light, hate the light. Or we'll be people who, having been exposed by the light, come into 
the light. And which of those two describes you? That's the question of the hour. That's the question of this Christmas season. That's the question, really, of your entire life. Which are you? Are you someone who hates the light, which has come, or someone who comes into the light? Now, according to John, you will come to hate the light if you continue to do wicked things with impunity after being exposed by the light. And though I don't think that this is what you are hoping for by coming here this morning, busted. You've been exposed by the light. As John writes, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his work should be exposed. Alternatively, you may come into the light by, John says, doing what is true. For, he writes, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Whoever does what is true. Hmm. What does that mean? How do you do truth? First, a few thoughts on what it doesn't mean. It does not mean just believe what is true. Not everyone who assents to the truth of Christianity as summarized in, say, the Apostles' Creed will come into the light. Though right doctrine makes it possible to do what is true, there are plenty who profess the faith once for all delivered to the saints who do not do the truth. Just because you have all of your theological ducks lined up doesn't mean you'll do the truth and come into the light. And neither is John recommending that you content yourself with just knowing what is true, simply understanding what it means to do the truth without acting on it won't move you out of darkness into the light. In just a minute, you'll be someone who knows what it means to do the truth because I'm going to do my level best to demonstrate it to you. But if you don't put that knowledge into action, you'll be none the better for it. Though achingly close to the light, you won't come into the light to your great loss. Nor does it mean doing what is true once, because the Greek original calls for ongoing action, which is why the New American Standard Bible translates this verse, whoever practices what is true comes into the light. So what I'm about to demonstrate to you is something that is best done frequently. So that's what it doesn't mean. What does it mean? Well, rather than explaining doing the truth, let me demonstrate it. Are you ready? Here goes. Hello. My name is Alan Lee, and I am a sinner. I love to be in control. I'm addicted to duty. I am addicted to order. I'm addicted to my rights. I'm addicted to my ways. I am outwardly moral, but I am subject to all kinds of inward temptations. 
some of which I give into from time to time. I appear to be confident, but I'm a coward, and I'm often full of fear and anxiety. I appear to be humble, but at bottom I'm arrogant, and I'm often critical of others. I appear to be generous, but I'm only generous to the extent that it serves my purposes. I appear to love God, but I love his gifts more than I love him. But if loving him is the price I have to pay to get his gifts, oh well then, I suppose I'll make a go of it. For much of my adult life, I have also been a Christian, having accepted Christ as Lord and Savior when I was 21. But for much of that time, I was just playing a part. I was an imposter. I pretended that I knew more than I did. I pretended that I knew him better than I did. I pretended that I was better than I am. And it was a terrible, terrible way to be because I lived in constant fear of somebody finding me out. Father, forgive me for it all. Forgive me, too, for the many times I've resorted to the darkness of workaholism and the idolatry of self-love and the lusts of my flesh in order to fill the emptiness that I was feeling inside and the dull pangs of my burdened conscience. Forgive me for turning to these instead of Jesus for relief and a remedy. But I turn to him now. Jesus, light of the world, by whose light I have come to understand that God is light and have come to understand these things about myself, thank you for coming down into the darkness of my world. And thank you most for enduring the deep, deep darkness of the cross. And thank you for shining the light of all of this truth into my heart. Now be for me as you are. Be my light, my redeemer, my savior my justification, my righteousness, my wisdom, my all. And there you have it. That's doing truth. Acknowledging that our best efforts are filthy rags, owning up to our routine recourse to the darkness of our self-salvation projects, confessing our particular sins and our sinful tendencies as best we can, as often as they're brought to our attention, and then turning in faith to Jesus, repenting for it all, and resting, really resting in the great good news that he is the light who came into the world to save the world, not And that done, you'll have come into the light. And the light will come into you. And you will become a child of light who only wants to do what pleases her Lord and who wants to do as Jesus did and will want nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And by the way, when you do that, when you do truth, it won't be to your credit. It will be to the praise and glory of God, since, as I trust, is clearly evident, a good work, a great work like this one, and any good fruit that follows from it could only be carried out by God, as John so plainly declares. 
Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in Christ. My time's up. So where does that leave us? It leaves us contemplating the true light of Christmas, which is the glorious light of the gospel of God's grace to us in Christ. Listen. The great divide among men and women is not between those who are good and those who are evil. It's between those who are evil but won't admit it and those who are evil and will. And by doing so, they're rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. It's a kingdom of light whose citizens enjoy redemption and the forgiveness of sin. This Christmas, do what's true. Come into the light. Let's pray. Oh, great Lord, what a wonderful work you do. I wonder how it pains you to expose the truth about us to ourselves. I wonder with what patience you do this, how tender you are, how much time you take to do it. You don't do it in a day. You take a lifetime to very tenderly pull back the curtains and expose the true light of your holiness onto the deepest darkness of our souls. In doing that, you say, come, come to me. Lord, pour out your graces onto us so that we can come, so we all of us can do the truth, come into the light, live in the light, be the light for the sake of your world. In Jesus' name, amen.